you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, just a ton of fun to hear uh, really what's going on. I, I, the Wagar segment is like my favorite. <laughs> Sermon I could take or leave. Yeah, and I'm just stoked <laughs> to be here and be able to be a part of the Wagar. It's awesome. But tell me a little bit about the, did somebody forget to set up tables, chairs? What happened? Okay, so here's the deal. We barely know what we're doing, but we're trying stuff. It's kind of, that's true of everything. So we're on this pathway towards normal church, right? We had a great Easter. It was outside, super safe. But, you know, we're getting back to normal inside as well. So I heard from a, a couple of pastor buddies of mine in town that they do kind of this split auditorium. So one is mask required, one is mask optional, and just gives people the freedom to kind of choose their own path. So for people who might be, we can applaud that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm all for, I'm all for freedom. And uh, so people who maybe have been in, immunized, uh, they feel comfortable in a mask optional environment. This half is for them, for people who, uh, for their own reasons, in terms of their own personal safety of their family, they'll choose this environment over here. Uh, and then as we go week to week, we had no idea, you know, what the choice would be, but week to week we'll rearrange this, the seating to kind of um, match what's happening in our culture in terms of those who are being immunized. We're just trying to be, you know, wise and kind as well, and just to put public safety in people's own control. And it feels good. It felt great this morning. Some of the, uh, you know, thoughts were, was it going to feel like a divided place? And not, not at all. It feels great. So I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, it seems like you guys are as well. We'll probably set up a little more this side next time too, and that'll be fun. It'll be fun. We're starting a brand new series today called Circles, and uh, actually Steve Solomon had the idea, and uh, he'd been reading a lot on sort of the sociology and psychology about being in circles of, of friends and workers and, um, you know, church, just all these networks, I guess, for lack of a better word, that we're in. And, you know, from our perspective, God put us in all these relationship circles, starting with the home and then moving to the world, all of these places of influence that we have as we can influence others and others can influence us. And so we've identified seven circles that we live in, seven circles of relationship, and we're going to talk about those one by one. Um, and all of this is through the biblical lens of really a life that Jesus imagined, which is putting people first. And so today, by introduction of this series, we're going to talk about putting people first. And as we, as we have this on the screen, as we put these three words in our, in our brains, we might think, well, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Of course we put people first. But it is so difficult to do that. So I brought up a couple of friends, uh, Alex and then Laura Lynn. And you know Laura Lynn, been around here for a very long time, uh, serving as a pastor and now chaplain as our, uh, of our school. And, and we're going to have a discussion about what it means to put people first biblically and then what it means in the, in the real world. And we're going to start a fantastic journey of uh, the seven circles in our life, loving and leading the people in our life. Why is it so hard then to put people first? I mean, it seems like such an intuitive thing to do. Why is it difficult for all of us? Because I like me best, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I like it, me best too. Yeah. You know, it's this idea that um, I want what I want and, you know, um, it, it's hard. I like my opinions. I like my ideals. I like the way I dress. I like me, <laughs> you know? So um, stopping to put others first takes intention. And it takes um, effort, it takes work, it takes maturity, emotional, cultural, all the above to really um, walk the way that I believe the Lord showed us to walk. So it kind of really starts with the basic pride of, of being a little bit self-centered. All of us, it, it's true. And as much as we like to think we're selfless, and for many of us, there's selfless parts of our life, but when it kind of gets right down to what we think of ourselves quite a bit, which almost boxes out the idea of putting others first... Yeah, like for me, like, I don't think I'm selfish. I mean, if you asked me, I'd be like, yeah, well, I, I sacrifice for my family. I sacrifice for my kids. I, I, I work at a church. You know, I'm, I'm giving my life, you know, 
for that cause, but there's something in me that just kind of pulls gravity back towards myself no matter what. And I can, I can see it, I can sense it, I can feel it no matter, you know, and, and other people are usually the ones that can see it better than you. So, you know, it's our good that we're having this conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like I said, our, our families can see those tendencies, yeah. you know, probably better than anybody, which we'll talk about next week. Um, there's other things that box out this idea of putting people first, not just kind of that basic human pride, uh, which we see really back in Genesis, right? Genesis chapter three, the very first sin is this temptation that you can be like God. It's like, well, I'll take that, right? Yeah. I'll be in control. I get my way. We all want that original, you know, sin of pride. Uh, the other thing is busyness. Uh, we are a busy people. This is for sure a Western phenomenon, but, but the more I study sort of history and culture, it is a, an American phenomenon. America is built on that, you know, sort of aggressive individualism. You can do anything. And I love that spirit. I mean, I love being American. I love that part of our, our culture, but it can end up being something that can be kind of destructive where all we're about and all we place our identity in is our production and all that we do. Uh, I've said this more than once. I'll say it more than once again. But if you ask anybody, oh, how are you doing? And they say in response, oh, I'm doing great. I've got all kinds of margin in the, in the world. I, I sleep a tight eight hours a night. Uh, I have plenty of time to just kind of, you know, be on my own and think through things and I'm contemplative. And you'll never hear that answer every, anywhere. From, it's never been answered in America like that. Never. I want Why? that job. Whatever job, yeah, that, exactly job right. that that person has, that's the that job one. I want. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but, you know, this idea that Americans need to be busy. Americans need to be productive. And there's a good thing about that, a good side about that for sure, but it can box out people, right? Yeah, it, we're builders, but you know, we've gotta be able to stop and say, hey, wait a second, what am I building for? Who am I building for? Is it me or is it we around us? Yeah. And, and that's, that's something we have to all think about is, am I so busy because I'm supposed to be busy? The answer to the question, how are you doing, is, oh, I'm so busy. I got this and this and this and kids and this and work and this and this. And, and that, is telling ourselves that we're valuable. It's telling ourselves that we're worth something. And so walking the very difficult road of saying, you know what, I don't have to have my self-worth based on my production or my busyness. I can actually have the maturity to say, I'm gonna create space for people. Because you can't put people first without the space for people. And that's something I've had to learn, probably the, the, the lesson I have learned uh, the most in my life, and I still have a long way to go, is creating the space in your schedule and the intentionality, as you said, Laura Lynn, to pour into people, to pour into those circles of relationships. When we're so busy, which I like to be busy, that's just my nature of who I am, um, and I also want to get accolades, right? I want you as my boss to say, Laura Lynn, right on, or, or my peers that I'm working with, or my kids at home to go, oh, best mom ever because she made whatever, right? Um, again, it's focusing back on me instead of how can I serve my employer, how can I serve my family, serve my kids. And sometimes that means saying no to my employer, my family, my kids at times. You know, coming up with what, what makes sense so that I have that margin. Absolutely. And, and my drug growing up really was, was people telling me, I don't know how you do it all. That was my drug um, I just felt on top of the world, it's like, yeah, you don't know how I do it all, but I knew how I did it all because I didn't invest in human beings. I invested in projects and I invested in things and I said yes to every opportunity because I felt that that's what I needed to make myself feel worth anything because I had a lot of insecurities that I kind of, you know, 
masked by busyness. And you had mentioned that that's true even of, of social media. The social media world is about how we present ourselves often. We, we brand ourselves so that we're basically telling the world, hey, look, I'm valuable, right? I'm perfect. <laughs> really, like all yeah. the filters. I mean, I could go on about social media, but um, I get more likes when it's just me than when I'm talking about an issue or a thing, um, which really has caused me to ponder. Because then again, it's focusing on me and not on others and trying to find that balance. It's very difficult. I love this passage that you actually brought to my attention. I, I had never really focused on this before, but it's a jewel. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That is American culture that somehow was also in Hebrew culture, you know, 1,500 years ago. Um, I'm sorry, 3,500 years ago. No, I'll get the math right. A long time 3, ago. 3,000 years ago. That is that same thing that we're toiling and toiling and toiling. We're going after it, going after it, going after it. And, and really, it's in vain. It's this work and effort for what? Just for work and effort? And uh, that's the American culture as well. And that boxes out putting people first. How many movies have we seen where it's this story of someone who has used their whole life to become successful or to attain stuff, and then at the end of the movie, you know, they miss their family or they lost their loved ones or they get sick or whatever, and they look back on their life and they just go, wow, I, I missed the point. I did a lot of stuff but missed the point. Yeah. And, and so for some of us during the series, we're going to come to that conclusion. And it doesn't have to be this big, heavy, guilt-driven thing. But just a little bit of an awakening that, that I had in 2000 that, that was like, you're missing the, the point of this whole thing. You're busy, busy, busy. You're getting pats on the back because it's America. But man, you're missing the, what true life is about. And it's about these circles of relationships that God has put us in, for sure. Now, um, we see this in Scripture. We talked about the psalm, uh, likely written by King David. Production, production, production. And God's saying, you need to rest. You need to give yourself some margin. And, and we look in the scripture, especially the Old Testament, and we see this um, duality where on the one hand, God speaks and he always speaks putting people first. Something that's an interesting paradigm shift for us is God puts us first. That's a wild thought for a lot of us. God puts people first. And so he gives promises and he gives covenants throughout the Old Testament in particular that puts people first. And yet you read in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel became very political. So instead of receiving this challenge to put people first, they were saying, okay, how can I use God to put me first? How can I use God for more power, more prosperity, more wealth for us, for me? How can we, you know, mobilize this king and this army to take that land and, and to, to earn more money? And, and wow, you read the Bible, the Old Testament, it's two things. It's God's promise to put people first and the nation of Israel responding by seeking political power. And it doesn't go well. So tell us about the oaths. You're a lifelong student of the Bible. Tell us about these covenants. Yeah, so I love starting in Genesis, right, at the beginning in the garden. And here you have Adam and Eve in this beautiful love story, right, that God brings these two people together, and they're to love him and to love one another. They're caretakers of the earth, and it's this harmonic, this union that we see of our triune God with humanity. And, and then the fall happens, and then we have, you know, Abraham, to be, he is to be a blessing to others. And, and then and it moves to Moses. And in Moses, I love this, he gets 613 laws, but really it comes down to, to the Ten Commandments, right? That can be summarized as love God and love one another. And then you move to David, and, and that's really, um, King David wrote that psalm that we showed, that this idea that 
David didn't have to be doing all the building. In fact, God kind of reprimanded him and said, no, no, I will do the building in you. And, and again, it's, it's for David to put God and to put humanity first. And, and we allow God to do the building in us. This idea, I call it the meaning of life. I really do think it's the meaning of life is that we're just to love God and love one another. But that takes intentionality. Absolutely. So the, the cornerstone covenant in the Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. It is referenced countless times, Old Testament and New Testament. And here's the promise. God says in Genesis 12, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And, and we look at that and what, the, what the, the Jews ended up doing in the Old Testament is they're saying, we can be famous. We can be powerful. We can be blessed. That's how they took this covenant. But God says, listen, I'm not only going to bless you, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. The point that God was making in this covenant is I want to put everyone first, not just you, Abraham, not just your tribe, not just the nation that you will become, but I'm going to bless the whole world. God says, I'm putting people first. The nation of Israel didn't quite get that. They turned that into blessing for themselves and political power, and it ended up in absolute chaos, complete destruction. In fact, we look at the end of the Old Testament. It's the saddest thing. Reading the Old Testament is the saddest thing. You can quote me on that. Because it is a list of how Israel got it wrong. Here's God's covenants. And by the way, we get it wrong all the time too, so we are all Israel. God gives these people first covenants. Israel turns sort of the name of God into how can I get him to bless me, bless my tribe, bless my nation, right? Bless my way. What ends up happening is they totally miss the point the way you said it earlier, Alex. And they end up seeking and striving for all this political power and it's total chaos. Ten of the 12 tribes in the north are totally decimated by the Assyrians. The two tribes remaining in the south are taken over by Babylon, exiled, dispersed. Then the Persians come in and take all that scene over, and they're left with a tiny remnant of people at the end of the Old Testament, and that tiny remnant of people still does everything wrong. So Malachi, the last book of the Bible, is God telling this tiny little remnant, not only have you done everything wrong up until now, you're doing everything wrong now. And listen to what God says as to why they're doing things wrong. This is Micah 3, 5. He says, I'm going to put you on trial, you little tiny remnant left. I am eager to witness against all evildoers. Now, why is God angry? I will speak against those who cheat employees out of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. God is not happy. Why is God unhappy? Because they're not putting people first. After a thousand years of his promises, a thousand years of his peace, people first covenants, to the very end, they didn't get it. That's how the, the, the Old Testament ends. Close it. It's sad. It's sad and it's, it's fitting because if you look at the Old Testament, in, in my view, it's, it's just a guidebook on how to get things wrong. I mean, there's some nuggets in there of, you know, when people have got things right, but the, the overarching overarching, I don't know which way to say that, but... Overarching sounds more like studious. I don't know. Probably the main wrong. theme of the Old Testament, in my view, is just how these people continue to get it wrong, how we continue to get it wrong. You know, like you said, God put these covenants out for people first, and they took them and they twisted them and they made it for their nation, for their political advancement, for, you know, their warring and their... Just a whole list of pretty terrible stuff that goes on in the Old Testament. And... Uh, and so it's very fitting that Malachi ends it that way. Well, it's fitting because uh, I'm not going to go too far down this trail, so don't get nervous. The Christian church of the last 14 months, 
just went Old Testament. Much of the Christian church just went Old Testament. Political power, winning votes, my people in the right places, all in the name of God. And again, I'm not going to get too far down that, but, but we have to do some introspection because going back to the old is so easy. Going back to the old is so easy because there, there's three things really that prevent this people first priority, as we've talked about. It's pride, which we all struggle with. Busyness, which we all struggle with. It boxes people out. But it's also that religious mindset that says it's about God blessing me and my way and my people and people just like me. It boxes people out. So, you know, we've got to just really think soberly through all of those reasons why people uh, tend not to be the priority. Even in the Christian church, it tends to be quite sad. Now, Jesus, on occasion, confronted that idea of seeking political power. Uh, particularly, of course, within the religious circles, um, which we spent quite a bit of time on because Jesus spent quite a bit of time on. In Matthew chapter 23, he is just laying out these woes against the religious leaders. And listen to what he says they value. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to be in power. Whenever somebody wants to be in power, they want to sit at the front of the table. They want to have their voice heard. They want to exercise authority over others. That is not aligned with the cause of Christ. That is not putting people first. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do anything. We're just, you know, a, a doormat getting stepped on and, and whatever or, or abused. No, no, no. There's a time to step up. But the lifestyle of Jesus is one that says, I'm going to sacrifice everything. Jesus gave up every bit of his power. Jesus gave up every bit of his power that took him to the cross. He gave up the power of living even. He died on a cross to put people first. We follow Jesus, and yet sometimes the Christian movement has a quest for power. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's got to be reversed, and it can be reversed. That's the cool thing. It can be reversed by putting people first. Now, when we talked about putting people first, you were the first two names that came up in my head. It's like, you guys have lived that life not to puff you up and make you proud so that you box people out. But really, you, do have, you two have put in the work, and we've talked a lot among us about what it means to put in the work to put people first. Now, you know, Alex, I've known you for a long time. I don't even know how many years. Are we coming up on 15? Who knows? Close. Probably, probably coming We're near that. Yeah. That'd be great. We'll party. That makes us sound old, though. So. I know. <laughs> it does. Uh, you have this, this ethic of, of, of creating the space in your life for these seven circles of relationship, um, how did you get to be a person who's kind of leading the way in that? Um, so it's funny to hear you say the seven circles thing, because like I, that is, I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a creative, so I did, ab I did absolutely zero planning to do that. But I will tell you a little bit about my life is I, I grew up in the church. I grew up at a church, uh, at, at a few churches that were more conservative, more legalistic. And what I learned was that um, it was all about my relationship with God, my personal relationship with God. And in order to maintain that and to have a good personal relationship with God, I needed to keep these moral rules. I needed to be a part of youth groups. I needed to volunteer. I needed to be a, a good son and all these things. And so that was kind of my foundation that I built. That was, that was following Christ. That's what it meant to follow Christ. Um, and then I met my wife, and she was a very different type of person. She was bubbly and outgoing and social and uh, her and her family loved to go to the beach and have parties and and it was a whole new way of thinking for me and so as I kind of became who I am and we grew our marriage and grew our family um, 
it's been just weird to kind of watch my mindset change. And the way that I look at life now is different. And the way that I look at my relationship with God is different. You know, I see my relationship with God as my relationship with you and my relationship with you and my relationship with, with you and all these different circles. It starts to make sense. And not so much keeping all these laws, although I, you know, don't want to throw all that stuff out the window, but it's about being with people. It's about loving people. It's about caring for people. It's about thinking about other people's point of views. And so one of the things I do here at this church is, is uh, you know, a lot of the promotion, a lot of the look and feel, and a lot of the, you know, how things are going to go out into the community. And so I'm constantly thinking, like, how is this person going to receive this? How is someone who has been hurt by the church going to receive this? How is a more conservative person going to receive this? And, um, and, and I love that. Like, that is just something that I think God has put in my heart, and it kind of it kind of just naturally, you know, lives out. And, and then, you know, just the other part that's pretty cool that's kind of natural is, like, our family just likes to party. We like to cook. We like to have fun. And believe it or not, that's just, it just lines up so much with who Jesus was and how he led. And so that's kind of, that's where I land. You say that word, I like to party. The movie all comes to our mind. I like to party, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus liked the party. I mean, that's, it, I can, I think I'm right in this. It hit the accusation that Jesus liked to party is what got him to the cross. It's, it's the wildest little chain of events there, but he is partying at us at these sinners homes, the ones labeled sinners, and he's eating and he's drinking and he's enjoying that circle of friends. And it's the religious people over there that said, Jesus, you are partying with the sinner. Truly you must die. And it's wild. It is wild that, 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 that a religious community that is founded on these covenants that put people first are the ones who often put people last. And, and, and there's a way out, though. There's a way out of this that, that we're going to talk about. And that way out is this journey that you both have been on of some intentionality. Now, you met your wife, and that opened up a whole deal. But you had to make choices along the way. Don't short sell yourself yeah, on no, that. Sure, yeah. You've got to create the margin. You've got to watch how busy you are. You've got to intentionally invite people over. Invite, um, you're wonderful at inviting your kids' friends over. You become a person of hospitality, probably not by accident, but by a lot of little decisions. And I see those decisions in you. In fact, you lead the local uh, uh, beer and hymns chapter. Yeah. And I love, I've never been. I've got to show up. But the social media coming out of Beer and Hams is, is, is awesome. You have these friends who love each other singing their guts out with a, with a pint or two. Uh, it doesn't hurt that you're, you know, Scottish. Yeah, it's helpful. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other story that we won't get into. Maybe we will someday. But, I mean, there is something special about uh, getting together and singing powerful songs and, and, and enjoying food and drink together. There's something very, I don't know, earthy about that very earthy like and I feel like God created us for that he created us to be in community not not everybody loves to sing not everybody loves beer but you know it's fun when you get a group of people together and we're singing amazing grace and uh I'll tell you what it's funny to hear old town people when they walk up and down the street going what what's going on over there but anyway that's a whole other story it's it's great so as we talk about the seven circles of relationship um let's let's list them here it starts with the family which we'll start on next week uh the family circle is I'm just going to say it. It's the most important. It's the most important. You can have all kinds of friends and other circles going well, but if family's not going well, life's not going well. That's just the bottom line. And there's a lot of you who are like, hey, man, my family's not going well. Uh, what's going to be next week? Well, I'm telling you what's going to be next week is some really practical, earthy help to strengthen your family. 
And uh, if your family's a disaster and your family has just been kind of, you know, even ripped apart um, either lately because of the last 14 months and all kinds of infighting or whatever, there is hope ahead for your family. Um, and, and we're going to dive into that. The Can next. I just say that, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's serious. Like, oh, yeah. Rancho is a place where if your family's hurting, if your family is on the brink, I mean, be honest and get help because I've seen so many stories here. I'm sure you have as well. I'm, over your years of families that had no hope and they came to a point and they said okay we need help and my family was one at one point and rancho really walked us through some incredible times that that other starts with the home yeah i I love it my some of my favorite times in ministry is when a couple sits down and they are they are mad (laughs) (laughs) they are furious and, and they look at me and they say, yeah, you've never heard a story like this, I guarantee you. And I said, I guarantee that's not true. Uh, let's walk, the most gnarly journey. Let's walk, let's walk, let's walk, let's go. Sometimes some hard things have to happen, but God's grace is in it all and some cool stories happen. So yeah, family first. Uh, then friends, God's given us a group of friends and then we can you know, sort of proactively make a group of friends. That's a vital circle in scripture. It talks about that tons. Uh, scripture talks about neighbors and that refers to both our actual neighbors which we're not so great at as, as uh, Californians. There's something about, I don't know, it's the West Coast or California, but fences are high, garage doors are shut um, in terms of actually reaching out to our neighbors. Uh, coworkers, uh, sometimes that's a clock in, clock out, nine to five, get me out of here. So real life, no, that's a whole sphere. It's a whole circle that we can really invest in. Uh, our church doesn't have to be just a place we sit and watch what happens on stage and go home. It, it needs to be much more than that, and I'm grateful for this church that, that it is for so many people. Uh, social network, and this is social media, and Alex, I just added this yesterday. We added a week yesterday to this whole thing because it's something Alex sent me. Um, these two are great on social media. They're, they're out there just appropriately and wonderfully um, just sharing life with a, a true network. We try to be. You, well, you are. <laughs> well, we, okay. we do blow up, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of life too, right? Um, but the social network is a true, highly connected relationship. So we're going to talk about connected. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no doubt you two will be back on that week. And then um, the world around us. Big, wide open world. Every single human being we interact with every single day. The random stranger in the street, the person driving in the car next to us, uh, the person in front of us in a grocery store, everybody. The, those in need, the homeless. Just this big, wide world for us is our circle. Uh, um, go ahead. Well, didn't yep. Steve say, uh, I think in his reading, it's like you, you affect 10,000 people yep. in your lifetime. That is a lot of people. Yep. And that, uh, let that soak in. Yeah. We have influence. This isn't just, we don't just see 10,000 people in the course of our life. We influence average 10,000 people over the course of our life. And sometimes it's, it's, just, it's in a moment, but it's a significant moment. It's sort of that butterfly effect. Every little impact we have on somebody changes the course of human history. And that's really the overarching point of view. And, and what a powerful call. I mean, that's the call to follow Christ, right. is to yeah. each one of us impacting thousands of lives in the name of Jesus. Even if you're an introvert. I mean, that's what yeah. I think is yeah. beautiful yeah. about this. It doesn't matter your personality. We still have this ability to love like Christ loved. 100%. So we're not asking, that's a really key point. We're not asking all the introverts to become extroverts. Not at all. We're not asking people to change their personality, to change the way they live, but to just live a little more intentionally that, oh, these, these eyes are pointed outward for a reason. And these people are treasures. They're treasures. I've, I've ignored most of them. I've taken a lot of them for granted. Even in our home, we could take these people, these treasures for granted or consider them at times more annoyance than treasure. But uh, just to look at it through different eyes and watch what happens, it's going to be cool. Romans 12 has kind of a vision of how we treat people. 
And this is all based on how Jesus treated us. So it's all gospel-centered, that good news that, that God puts us first and proved that through Jesus, who loved us to the very end, including his own death. We get to live that out. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Simple stuff, plain language. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And that's what we'll talk about, uh, particularly in a couple of weeks with friendship, is come to my home, share a meal, barbecue, whatever, dessert. Um, Bless those who persecute you. This isn't just being friends to our friends. Uh, Jesus said there's no reward for being friends with people who are just like you. Everybody's, even the most evil people are friends with people just like them. Doesn't count. What counts is when we really intentionally expand our circle and even kind of those who persecute you. Got a couple emails this week. It's like, okay, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That was hard this week. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. That's just poetic, right? It just satisfies the soul, but it takes, it takes intentionality. Last question for you is, what does that look like at church? You know, church can oftentimes be a tradition where people come, they sit, they listen to what goes up on stage, and they go home, and that's about it. Nothing wrong with that. We'll take it. But there can be so much more than that, a circle that really puts people first. What does that look like in your mind? Well, for me, it really looks like walking this road of empathy. When I'm putting people first, I have to stop. When I get that email or when I get that parent, I have to stop and really listen. What, what are they going through? What is their life like? What has their experience in this been like? Because it could be, most likely, it's way different than mine. So walking that journey of a church is for us to just be way more empathetic with one another. And that takes intention, work, practice. Yes, the, first, the first response, the knee-jerk, and still this happens with me too, and I got to you know, kick myself in the head every time I do this. Somebody criticizes what immediately you want to do. Well, and push back and give them Bible and logic and this indefensible <laughs> fortress of truth. And, uh, you know, it's just, okay, what are they going through? Where are they coming from? What was their upbringing like? Why did this offend them? And then immediately start with an apology. I wasn't sensitive enough to where you're at. I'm so sorry. What, what did you experience? And that is so difficult and takes time. And that's the thing where, you know, you just a terse email and a terse email back and we're done. Well, that didn't put people first and messed up a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, I think we just have to know that it's going to be a challenge and be, be up for it and be gracious with one another. I mean, that closing scripture of Old Testament brought up some challenging points that if we were to have a realsy, realsy conversation about it right now in here, the room would get hot. You know what I mean? And because people value different things and they're excited about different things and they feel justice about different things. And so I think committing to be on a journey, you know, when you come to Rancho United, you know, like commit to be here, commit to be a part of this family and commit to go on a journey because your, your ideals might change. My ideals might change. And, but together we can grow closer to the image of Christ and the image of Christ is, is being about mercy, justice, and love. And so when we say that, we mean that. And it's a challenging journey. I think it's a challenging journey. It is a challenging journey. And, and we're going to all be doing this together. We're, we're going to actually be changing a lot of things as we uh, sort of gear towards a grand reopening of Rancho. I mean, we are this serious about this topic that we're grand reopening Rancho. It's only, it's the third time in 52 years where we're saying this is, feels like a new start. And it's because it's about putting people first. And it's not just going to be your, your same, you know, kind of come to church and listen to a couple songs and a, and a lecture. 
and go home. It's a community thing. And so community feel here, community feel out there. Uh, we're adding food. There's coffee out there. We homemade donuts for Easter. We're bringing those to a weekly thing. We're going to build a fence around this whole central campus, build play areas for kids just to connect and truly be with each other and then hopefully create environments, and this will be new also, where people can connect in their homes. So we'll have little short spurts of classes and seminars to get people who are in the same season of life together. And then we're going to encourage you, hang out at people's homes. You know, get into the houses, show hospitality to one another, share life. Um, I don't know if you, I think you're going to like this. I've been a part of a lot of Bible studies here, home groups here at Rancho. Like three of them over my 30 years. And uh, I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but been part of three. And they've ended up in, to be long-term relationships. We ditched the Bible study part, I'm telling you, within three weeks. And it was the best thing that happened. I love the Bible. I study the Bible all the time, right? I get paid to study the Bible. Really super good at it. But when I get with people in a house, I'm not wanting to study the Bible. I want to get to know their lives. I want to, I want to see the Bible in action, in, in your lives. The good and the bad and the ugly and the rotten and the stinky and the high celebration moments, the moments of victory that were in each other's lives. And I've got to tell you, ah, darn it. the relationships that I have built in those groups and the life I've walked with so many of those people is because we didn't sit down for Bible study, but we sat down and in Christ, we work stuff out. And that's where real circle of change happens. And it's awesome. It's really cool. So thanks for getting me all emotional. We're done. Uh, get <laughs> out of here. Uh, let's uh, thanks. Thank Laura Lynn and Alex. Just such great people. I'm going to close with just a, a real quick story. Just take a couple minutes. Um, back in the year 2000, my life was spinning out of control uh, in terms of busyness. I was not thinking about people. My paradigm wasn't people. My paradigm was, man, get stuff done. You know, I'm just your classic poster child, firstborn, um, you know, child of an alcoholic. It's about production. It's about order. It's about getting things in the right place. And I just, I just moved. And and building, and business, and ministry, and all the accolades that came along with that. I was neglecting my wife. I was not taking any days off. I was missing dinners multiple times a week, missing dinners. I had three babies at home in diapers. And, uh, and I came home one night. I don't remember specifically when, but it was during the year 2000. I missed another dinner, and I was sitting in the driveway in my car, and I was loading all of the responses to my wife's criticism when I walked into that door. You guys know how it goes, right? You know you're going to get it. You missed another dinner. You said you'd be here, here, and you're here. And so I knew what was coming, and I was loading all of my responses, which were full of, you know, I'm going to accuse you of some things also, and nobody's perfect, and all the same stuff that comes along, right? You know all I do for this family, all blah, blah, blah. It's all there. It's all loaded. And, and before I got out of the, the truck, I was just caught with this overwhelming emotion that said, you're done with this. You're done with this. On the outside, it looks like you have it all together. On the outside, it looks like you're high production, but it's all at the expense of your wife and your kids. And this emotion just got me. I was weeping in the driveway, and believe me, I'm not a weepy person. For those of you who are here, it's like you broke down here and you're telling me you broke down there. You must be this. I only cry up here and in my truck in the year 2000. <laughs> and it's like, this has to stop. This has to stop. 
And so after about a half an hour of just wrestling through the emotion of that and knowing that things have to change, I kind of worked a plan. It's going to take two years to unwind this trash. And I was walking to the house, and my wife, I think, was worried about me, and she walked out and met me in the driveway and saw that I'd been crying, which is, is an unusual sight for her to see. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. I have blown it. I have not valued you. I have not valued these kids. I'm going to make changes. We're going to make changes. And it's going to take about two years to unwind all this mess that I created, but we're going to do it. And we did it. And we've been living into that whole new reality of margin and family and people for 20 years. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't trade any bit of production that was, you know, sacrificed. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's what we're going to start with next week is what decisions can we make as a family? Whether it's busyness or pride or you just got into some bad habits or you've really hurt each other. There's a road to walk in that circle that is powerful and profound and we get to do that next week. And I'm telling you, some of you over the course of these seven weeks are going to have that year 2000 moment for you. You're going to have a moment where 20 years from now, you're going to say, I was in church. I don't remember the day, but it was 2021. And this happened in my life. And you're going to have a radically changed life. Some of you would just have to make some tweaks to put people first and to really capitalize on these beautiful people that God has put in all seven circles of your life and really love and lead the people around you in a way that honors God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, just the gift of being able to, to change, the gift of making a mistake and knowing that you're for us and you're never against us and you're not punishing us and condemning us. You're simply inviting us to make some tweaks to live a better life. That's what you want. You put people first. You put us first. You gave us the, the, the covenant, these oaths that you would bless us. You gave us the proof of how much you love us through Jesus Christ who always put others first to the point of his own death. And uh, yet he rose from the dead, and we get to live in that resurrected power of Jesus now to love other people, to know how loved we are by you and to love other people, to love and lead them in a way that brings uh, life, that, that betters the world around us, that makes the world a better place, all by striving with your effort, by your power to love like Jesus. In his name we pray, and everybody say it.